The following program is sponsored by the Jelinski Advisory Group, which is solely responsible for its content. Josh Jelinski is the president of Wealth Quarterback, LLC, a registered investment advisory firm located in New Jersey. Registration is not an endorsement of the firm or its representatives by securities regulators, nor is it an indication that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Investment advisory services may only be provided to clients in jurisdictions in which the firm and its representatives are appropriately registered or exempt from registration. You should not assume that any discussion or information contained in this broadcast serves as the receipt of or as a substitute for personalized investment advice from the advisor. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, or product, or any non-investment related content made reference to directly or indirectly in this broadcast will be profitable. Equal any corresponding indicated historical performance level or levels be suitable for your portfolio or individual situation or prove successful. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Investment advisory services offered through Wealth Quarterback LLC. Tired of losing money in the stock market roller coaster? Frustrated with the government taxing you into oblivion? Worried about inflation? How do you prepare for so many financial uncertainties? Welcome to the show that will help you develop your game plan. The Financial Quarterback with Josh Jelinski. Josh is a noted financial advisor and president of the Jelinski Advisory Group. And he's here to answer your questions. Call into the show at 800-321-0710. 800-321-0710. Now, let's kick off your financial future. Here's Josh Jelinski. is Josh Jelinski. We are live taking your calls all hour at 800-321-0710. If you have questions on stocks, bonds, annuities, mutual funds, whatever question you have, no question is a dumb one except the one that you do not ask. And we have a lot of interesting news today. Uh, This week, I don't know if you know this, but Larry Fink, founder of Black, not founder, president and CEO of BlackRock, says, hey, they're going to not use the phrase ESG anymore, but it won't really change the way they do anything. So we got a lot to talk about. JP Morgan team ditches bullish Treasury's view on U.S. data. And then Fidelity is converting about $13.5 billion in mutual funds to exchange-traded funds. That's like a quantum leap, according to the wealthadvisor.com. Also, Fidelity joins spot Bitcoin ETF race with a fresh SEC filing. Fidelity is the latest financial services heavyweight to throw its name into offering the first U.S. ETF fund investing directly in Bitcoin. And then there's a big reason the economy won't crash into a recession, and we'll tell you what that is later on in the program. And so a lot of people think, okay, Larry Fink came out and said, Uh, CEO of Invest in Giant BlackRock said he'll no longer be using the buzz phrase ESG, which stands for environmental, social, and governmental factors when evaluating companies. So some on the right has said, yay, uh, we won, we won, wrong. 
ESG mandates are already uh, in about, I don't know, 500 of the 500 S&P companies. They already have sustainability groups and task forces and even, you know, all of the various things that ESG tried to, they already won. They don't need to use the phrase ESG anymore. They're already, uh, you know, woke, do-gooding throughout the companies. We're going to talk of estate planning. We're also going to talk about our U.S. seniors among the developed world's poorest. Depends on your point of view. And foster child who inherited fortune from millionaire parents set to forfeit a million-pound mansion. And the winner of the record 1.6 billion plus Mega Millions jackpot should watch out for these pitfalls. Estate planning is a critical aspect of financial management that involves making plans for the transfer of a person's estate after their death. Tenancy by entirety, what the heck is that word, can play a significant role in estate planning for married couples. It offers you a unique blend of asset protection and ease of property transfer upon death. However, it's not suitable for everyone and comes with its own set of limitations. Therefore, it's crucial to seek professional advice when incorporating tenancy by entirety into your estate plan. A knowledgeable attorney or financial advisor can provide guidance based on a couple's specific circumstances and goals, ensuring that your estate plan is effective and efficient as possible. Assets, life insurance, pension, real estates, cars, personal belongings, and debts are all part of your estate. One of the most important aspects of estate planning is understanding the various forms of property ownership. One of which, according to wealthadvisor.com, is tenancy by entirety. Tenancy by the entirety is a unique form of ownership available only to married couples or in some states, domestic partners. This form of ownership recognized in about half the U.S. states treats the couple as a single legal entity rather than two specific individuals. When a property is held as tenancy by entirety, both parties have an equal undivided interest in the property and neither can sell or give away their interest without the consent of the other. So that's a big thing, you know, for example, in divorce planning, etc. One of the benefits of tenancy by entirety is its ability to provide a level of asset protection. In most states that recognize this form of ownership, creditors of one spouse cannot attach the property to satisfy debts unless both are liable. This can be particularly beneficial in cases where one spouse operates as a business or profession that carries a high risk of liability. In addition to asset protection, 
Tenancy by entirety also offers significant benefits in terms of planning for your estate. Upon the death of one spouse, the surviving spouse automatically becomes the sole owner of the property. The transfer of ownership occurs by operation of law and does not require probate. The legal process often to validate a will or distribute a decedent's after uh, death assets. This can save time, legal fees, and potentially avoid disputes among your heirs. However, tenancy by entirety is not without limits, like anything. It is not available to unmarried couples or single individuals. Furthermore, it only applies to couples' primary residences in some states. Moreover, while tenancy by entirety can protect against claims by individual creditors, it does not offer protection against joint debts. If both spouses are liable for a death, for a debt, not a debt, the property can be attached and sold to satisfy the debt. It's also worth noting that the automatic transfer of ownership upon death may not always align with a couple's estate planning goals. For instance, if a couple wishes to leave their property to someone other than the surviving spouse, say your children, tenancy by entirety would not be appropriate form of ownership. Additionally, both parties must agree to any decision to sell, mortgage, or otherwise dispose of the property, which can lead to complications if the couple disagrees. The U.S. retirement system is a sprawling complex, a so-called three-legged stool. You may have heard of this. So in retirement, you have a three-legged stool, Social Security, pensions, and your savings. But is the system falling short of its primary goal of achieving a secure retirement for Americans? Judging why and to what extent seniors may be falling behind is harder than it might sound, experts say. According to CNBC, of course, workplace plans aren't a panacea. Contributing money is ultimately voluntary, unlike in other nations such as the UK, and it requires financial sacrifice, which may be difficult amid other households' needs, such as housing, food, child care, and health care. But the answer has huge policy implications, ranging from the generosity of public benefits to the prevalence of employer-sponsored plans such as 401ks and pensions. This is a fraught area. There's not a simple answer, said Olivia Mitchell of UPenn, the executive director of the Pension Research Council. Is old age income poverty too high? Consider this thought exercise. What is a tolerable poverty rate among American seniors? By one metric, the U.S. fares far worse than many other developed nations in this category. Although whenever they say that, I always think it's like slanted. It's like, the, the, what's the poll question? Is the U.S. bad at planning for their retirees? They'll say yes, you know. And they'll say 75% of all U.S. Right, you know, will tell you a word of the question. But nevertheless, old age income poverty is too high. About 23% of Americans over 65 live in poverty, according to the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development. This ranks the U.S. behind 30 other countries out of 38. 
which collectively have an average poverty rate of 13.1%. So 23% of Americans, just let that sink in, over the age of 65 live in poverty. According to the OECD, Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, only Mexico ranks worse than the U.S. in terms of old age poverty depth, which means that among those who are poor, their average income is low relative to the poverty line, and just three countries have worse income inequality among seniors. What about you? Do you have a story of a friend that's maybe a senior living in poverty? Give us a call, 800-321-0710. I'd love to hear from you. 800-321-0710. And call me right now for a free retirement reality check at 888-988-JOSH. We've been in a podcast for many years, but this financial radio show also happens to be a pretty darn good podcast. So if you've never downloaded or subscribed to the podcast, please subscribe. Search for The Financial Quarterback in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's The Financial Quarterback. Listen, follow, and write us a review. Also, folks, I'd love to hear from you. This show is open, live, uncensored, unscripted, shockingly raw. We love to hear from you, our beloved listeners. So call us at 800-321-0710. That's 800-321-0710. If you have questions on stocks, bonds, maybe the economy, maybe the state of Remember they used to call Social Security old age insurance? So give us a call now. We'd love to hear from you. If you're worried about the state of the U.S. economy, if you're concerned about, you know, your retirement picture, give us a call now. I'd love to hear from you. We also want to talk about your spouse likely keeps five dirty little money secrets from you. We're going to tell you what those are. And baby boomers are hitting peak 65, what it means for retirement planning. But I'm just shocked. Well, I'm not shocked because many people don't save 10 to 15% of their pay. If the U.S. government, I don't like any mandates, mandated that you saved 10% of your pay in a private account or 15% of your pay in a private account, you know, these rates would go from 23% to like 1% or 2%. I've rarely met anyone who saved 10 to 15% of their pay religiously who was in poverty. Now, according to this study by the OECD, the base U.S. Social Security benefit is lower than the minimum government benefit in most OECD member nations. But, you know, they don't have to pay, pay 60% in taxes. So, for one, the overall U.S. poverty rate is high relative to other developed nations. Some of this is a little misleading because... For example, let's say you were in the U.S. and you didn't save much. You may have gone to Disney World every year where, where that person in, you know, from a different country might have enjoyed a vacation maybe once in 40 years 
generally these people in poverty in the U.S., uh, I'm, I'm not saying everyone, they spent a little too much money during their working years. So they enjoyed some of their earnings for a period of time. That said, the U.S. benefit formula is in some ways more generous than other nations. For example, non-working spouses can collect partial Social Security benefits based on their work history, which is not typical in other countries. The U.S. is also the only developed country to not offer a mandatory work credit, an important factor in determining retirement benefit amount. To mothers during maternity leave, for example, most other nations also give mandatory credits to parents who leave the workforce for a few years to take care of the young. But what they don't tell you is in those other countries, if you don't work, let's say you're a stay-at-home mother, you're really you know, out of luck in a lot of their retirement benefits. So some of these things are slanted towards a view that, oh, the U.S. is bad. That being said, it's an alarming stat that 23% of American seniors live in poverty. What can you do to solve that? Don't run up the credit card. Save 10 to 15% of your salary. Have term life insurance equal to 20 times your pay, convertible to a permanent policy. Have a disability plan equal to two-thirds of your pay. There are, there are four or five things that you could do where if you do those four or five things, I've rarely seen people really struggle who are doing those things consistently. Here's where it gets trickier. Some researchers say the OECD stats overstate the severity of old age poverty due to the way in which OECD measures poverty compared with U.S. statisticians' methods. For example, according to U.S. Census Bureau, 10.3% of Americans age 65 and older live in poverty, much lower rate than the OECD data suggests. That old age income poverty rate has declined by over two-thirds in the past five decades, according to the Congressional Research Service, because I would say largely people are saving more. Historically, poverty among elderly Americans was higher than it was for the young. However, that's no longer true. Seniors have had lower poverty rates than those 18 to 64 since the 90s. The story of poverty in the U.S. is not one of older folks getting worse off. They're improving, um, a professor Mitchell says of UPenn. Regardless of the baseline, OECD, Census Bureau, or other data, there's a question as to what poverty rate is or should be acceptable in a country like the U.S. We are arguably the most developed country in the world, according to David Blanchett of PGIM, an arm of Prudential. The fact that anyone lives in poverty, one can argue, isn't how we should be doing it. Despite improvements, Certain groups of the elderly population, such as widows, divorced women, and never married men and women are still vulnerable to poverty, according to Zay Lee and Joseph Daliker, CRS social policy analysts. Two major problem areas persist. Researchers seem to agree that a looming social security funding shortfall is perhaps the most pressing issue facing American seniors, longer lifespans, and baby boomers hurtling into their retirement years are pressuring the solvency of the old age and survivors insurance trust fund. It's slated to run out of money in 2033. It's only 10 years away. 
really nine if you count that this year is almost done. At that point, payroll taxes would fund an estimated 77% of promised benefits absent congressional benefits, which is sort of like a Ponzi scheme in that they're going to be taxing people. So Social Security is not a Ponzi scheme. That's where you're relying on money coming in to pay current claims. But 10 years from now, 77% of the promised benefit will be dependent on taxes. That's why we need an increasing tax base. We need an increasing amount of humans in the U.S. to tax. We should be encouraging legal immigration and childbearing. You could argue the pending insolvency of Social Security is threatening older people's financial well-being. It's the whole foundation upon which the American retirement system is based. Raising Social Security payouts at the low end of the spectrum would help combat old age poverty, but would also cost more money at a time when the program's finances are shaky. I mean, I think a very simple thing to do because, you know, if you tax people more, let's say payroll tax, the brunt of that is going to fall on business owners. They're going to cut jobs and you're going to lack the tax revenue and the growth and all that thing. I think a better thing would be right away we raise the so the retirement age to 70. Or, you know, so instead of 67 normal retirement 69, early retirement 65, 60, you know, you you do that phase out. See how much that would get us social security solvency. They did it with the Secure Act. They, they pushed the RMD age to 73 to 75. I think that's a clue, sort of getting the U.S. used to a new Social Security age of, you know, 70 or whatever. How much would moving, I don't know, how much would moving the Social Security age to 70 save? That's a good question. I didn't uh you know, I didn't really do research on that. So raising the retirement age to 70 would ultimately uh, cut average lifetime benefits. That's fine. But, you know, these people are saying don't do this. Um, but I, you know, I think it would really help. And then you could get it early, let's say, if you were disabled or unemployed or something. Basically, what we would do is we would see a large percentage of people, um, you know, and then there's means testing, which some people say, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of that because you've paid into it your whole life. Um, there's the whole setting up private accounts like a 401k. And I don't mean, you know, I mean it more like the TSP. There's already a governmental program called Thrift Savings Plan that a lot of federal workers save on a fixed income Really nice amount. So give us a call, 888-988-JOSH. What would you propose to save Social Security? Since that is the three-legged stool, nobody really wants to talk about it, right? Like Trump didn't talk about it. Obama didn't talk about You know, you're only know Biden talking about it. And when anybody talks about it, they generally don't have a good chance of getting elected. But our country is going broke. And Social Security 
by 2033 will be 77% reliant on new money coming in. So raising social security payouts at the low end of the income spectrum would help combat old age poverty, but would also cost more money at a time when the program's finances are shaky. This is, we were talking about kind of the whole concept of how do you combat poverty among those 65 and older? The easiest way to combat poverty is to have a safety net benefit at a higher level. It'd be extremely expensive, though, especially in a country as large as the U.S. Lanchette favors that approach. Such a tweak could be accompanied by a reduction in benefits for higher earners. Oh, that's nice. Making the system even more progressive than it is now. So this is what policymakers are talking about. Um, I, don't, I don't think that's a respectable thing. I don't think it's fair to those who paid into the system their whole life. Currently, for example, Social Security replaces about 75% of income for someone with very low earnings, about 15 grand, and 27% for someone with maximum earnings, which is uh, defined as 148,000, according to the Social Security Administration. Reducing benefits for some would put a greater onus on such households to fund retirement with personal savings. I don't think it's fair. However, the relative lack of of access to a savings plan at work known as the coverage gap is another obstacle among those massing more retirement wealth. I think the way to solve that is very easy. You make the amount one can put into a Roth unlimited in your early years up to a certain limit, say $2 million or a million. Once you've put in a million dollars of contributions, whether you make a million dollars a year, five grand a year, you're done. You might say, well, how can that help? That can help with grandparents who want to give to their grandchildren. And, and it's a start, and it's also allowing people to be more responsible for themselves. Also, just allowing people to do a 401k, you know, opt in to, let's say, uh, the TSP program. So if you don't have a 401k, your boss doesn't want to give you one, boom you can have it payroll deducted into something like the TSP program. Research shows that Americans are more likely to save when their employer sponsors a retirement plan. But coverage hasn't budged much in recent decades, even as employers have shifted from pension to 401ks. About 40 years ago, half of workers were covered by an employer-sponsored plan. The same is true today. So what would you do to combat old-age poverty? Give us a call now, 800-321-0710. I'll be taking your calls on all matters financial. This is Josh Chalinski, the financial quarterback. Don't touch that dial. Maybe it seems like prices can't get much higher or that the stock market is headed for bear territory. Or maybe you're worried about another great recession. Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback, can help you protect your family's financial future in times like these. Tune in this weekend to The Financial Quarterback to hear how Josh and his team can help you decrease your tax liability and lower your risk. Call 888-988-5674 to take advantage of Josh's 27-point plan to achieve financial health. And when you call, you'll receive a free copy of Josh's book, Retirement Reality Check. Tune in every weekend to The Financial Quarterback and call 888-988-5674 to receive your free copy of Retirement Reality Check. On yesterday's podcast, which you can download, go to The Financial Quarterback, some of the money secrets couples keep. 
So a daughter asks one parent if she can buy a toy. The answer is no from one parent. So she asks the other parent to get it for her, and the other parent says, okay, and they don't tell the parent, well, that's not good. That's, that's sort of the first step in the road to financial infidelity. The second source of problems is keeping money secrets. So first source of problems, parenting issues, right? Like, should we buy Johnny this? No, we're going to buy Jane this. No, uh, we're going to spend this on the birthday party. No, we're not. And those are kind of innocent, but they do bubble up. The second sources of problems is keeping money secrets. Hiding purchases from a spouse or ringing up a balance at a credit card that your spouse is in the dark about is courting disaster. Not generally a good idea. The downside of financial secrets, it erodes trust. In an Orion survey, 25% of respondents admitted to keeping a big purchase secret from a partner. And 9% said they had debts their partner is unaware of. The reason this is so damaging is that money can equal power. When one partner misleads or lies to another partner about their spending, they are using coercion and exercising power unjustly. Or just like deceit, right? You could have come into marriage thinking you were married to Somebody who's very w successful financially, and they weren't. Full disclosure and transparency of financial matters is the better way to go if you want to avoid trust issues and not sabotage your relationship. So couples have financial fights. First, parenting. Second, keeping debt or money secrets. Gambling. We talked about yesterday. Third, financial infidelity traces to communication. Poor communication is a sticking point. If you don't talk about money or how you view spending and savings with your spouse, friction materializes. And I would say have those conversations before you put a ring on it. Some folks are direct in how they communicate about money and others are indirect and find talk of money to be garish scary, or rude. The downside of keeping mum about money is that couples don't know each other's values and goals. I guarantee you, you view money differently as from your spouse, generally. Some view money as very round, very abundant. Oh, we're going to spend money on this person, spend money on this person. Some, very scarce. Generally, it's how you're raised whether your parents had money or not, but there are other factors that contributed. Fear or worry is the fourth trigger for money problems between couples. Fear about market risk, job loss, the economy, top the list of sources of money disagreements. In the survey, 35% of respondents cited fear. Often arguments occur because there's a mismatch, a mismatch in anxiety levels about money. People vary in how much they worry about or even think about money. For some, it's a source of almost 
constant concern, and for others, it barely crosses their mind. The fifth reason for financial infidelity is the raging save or spend debate. But before we get to that, the fourth reason, couples having different risk profiles, that's big. Uh, one couple, one spouse wants to have 500000 in cash. The other wants to invest that cash. Well, maybe you have a compromise. Maybe you keep two fifty invested and the other two fifty you have in cash. So there's things you can do that aren't really going to hurt the marriage. They'll help it. They'll make both spouses feel valuable and you won't make a foolish decision. The fifth reason for financial infidelity is the save or spend debate. Is money best used and enjoyed today or saved for an uncertain future? I hear this with a lot of people. I mean, heck, it was the whole principle of my book, kind of, where my book, The Retirement Reality Check, I don't know if you remember, but, you know, that book's our free giveaway at 888-988-JOSH. But the subtitle was How to Spend Your Money and Still Leave an Amazing Legacy. So you want to have a spending plan, but also a savings plan. Meaning, if you're meeting your savings targets so that you have enough money to retire, you have life insurance, you have disability insurance, you have an emergency fund, you have a retirement plan, and you're funding it properly, 10 to 15% of your pay. This is if you don't have a million dollars saved or $2 million saved. Then you should take that vacation once a year. You should take that honeymoon once a year to rekindle that relationship with your spouse. Step one to diffusing financial infidelity, talk about it. So I'm going to give you some rules on how to stop fighting about money. Step one, talk about it. Schedule a 15 to 30-minute chat with me, the financial quarterback at 888-988-JOSH. We'll be able to help you. If you don't want to meet with me, <clears throat> schedule a 15 to 30-minute chat once a quarter or once a month with your spouse to talk about money. If you have a financial advisor, set up a once every quarter, 30-minute chat, once every six-month chat, once a year, annual review. Got to do it annually, though. You must do an annual one-hour meeting. You can do it with us, somebody else, 888-988-JOSH. Set aside time to discuss money-related issues. It makes sense to build the discussion around a specific event such as an upcoming vacation, a big purchase, back-to-school shopping, or receipt of your quarterly 401k statement. The goal, focus on shared goals. But it's okay to have individual goals. I want to buy a purse. I want to buy shoes. I want to buy a car. How does that incorporate if there's a death, disability, retirement, unemployment? Those are probably the bigger uh, things that you need to be protected against. Talk about what you're trying to accomplish and what your budget is and how you're going to go about getting that done. Now, how do you diffuse financial 
infidelity. It's critical if you've never done this to be a little less judgmental. It's more important that you're aware, curious, and open about your own money story and that of your partner. Don't assume that your way of thinking about money is right. Don't assume you're going to ever really change them. I, I don't think that ever happens. You're kind of wired. Now, as you grow as a couple, you're grow, going to grow a little more thrifty in certain things. So, And then you want to talk about the non-negotiables. Maybe it's organic food is your non-negotiable. Maybe going on vacations is your non-negotiable. Maybe it's a nice car. I, you know, to be honest, the nice car one, I mean, I'm not against having a nice car, but unless you have a certain degree of wealth, it's not really a wise target. Because, like, driving a Honda Accord or a Honda Civic is the same utility as driving a Maserati, right? But one can really set you back far. Now, I know occasionally I get clients with Porsches, and yeah, they're like, my Porsche was a great investment. Yeah, but generally, cars aren't a good investment. You know what I'm saying? So give us a call, folks. 888-988-JOSH. 888-988-5674 for your free retirement reality check. Do you have anything that worked with your spouse? Give us a call. 800-321-0710. We have an open phone line. For questions, if you have a question or comment, call me now, 800-321-0710. Any money disputes that you want to share with your spouse? What do you want me to adjudicate it live over the radio right now? Give us a call, 800-321-0710. And what's your thoughts on seniors hitting poverty in their old age? How can we save Social Security as a system? Call me now, 800 800- Three two one zero seven ten. I'd love to hear you chime in, and call me right now. Eight 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 nine eight eight. Josh. Eight 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 nine eight eight five six seven four. You'll get a free book when you schedule and keep your no obligation review. Go ahead. You're on with Josh Chilinski, the financial quarterback. You hear a lot of uh, advertisements uh, that if you have uh, uh, back taxes owed or non-filing, uh, that it's. Uh, uh, not a good idea to work uh, with the IRS directly, but to use one of their services. What's your position on it? Yeah, I think probably you should get legal representation from a tax attorney, number one, or a enrolled agent or CPA, number two. There are services. I know there's the guy, uh, Dan Pilla, who we've had on. I don't recommend anyone or their services just because they've been on the show, but I would get someone to help you, you know, you know, who's done it before. You're going to wind up paying almost the same as what the IRS is asking for. I I have no clue. I've, I've not had that issue. So, I mean, I would call, you know, some of these people will give you like a $99 consult. I would not charge. I would not, um, have them, you know, a lawyer will charge you for their time, right? Generally, an accountant or CPA will charge you hourly. Um, so I would not, you know, do one of these and you're paying them thousands of dollars without kind of understanding uh, the whole thing. Does that make sense? 
you know, the thing is that uh, if they're going to be charging you an hourly rate, um, I mean, is it almost the wash where uh, what they what they're asking uh, for compensation um, is Maybe, almost going to be equal to what you would have had I don't to know how bad your, I don't know how bad your situation is. You know, if it's a grand or three grand, yeah, I mean, because they probably end up paying that for professional services by the time they're done. You know, but uh, I do know what's his name, that guy we've had on the show. I think he does like a like a seventy five dollar, you know, consult or ninety nine dollar consult or something like that. And they get you some, uh, you know, one hour thing. But you got to avoid scams. I think he has a whole thing of, you know. Beware of IRS phone scams on his website or something like that. So, yeah, definitely. Um, you bring up a point. You have to counteract. Um, what would that be called? Um, you got to factor in the cost of the professional, right? Right. So. Um, well, hopefully they can give you an upfront number of what it's going to cost you. Oh, no one's going to do that as, a, as an attorney. Nobody. Okay. Or, or an accountant. I mean, they might give you an estimate. Maybe maybe uh-huh. Pillow will give you, I mean, maybe they give you an estimate. Okay, this issue we've seen. Yeah, I mean, have them give you an estimate. Yeah, that's a good good tip. Get an estimate. Um, I want to say, what's his name, at like a $99 consult. You know, something like that where you can talk to somebody, you know, who's maybe maybe had an experience that they go, oh, yeah, I dealt with that. It was not, not that you never know what you get, but oh, I hope that helps. And, um, yeah, I've heard outrageous, you know, commercials where, Oh, I owed, uh, you know, what? Uh, no, no, I would not trust I the commercials. Uh, I mean, I, I know Dan Pilla has been on the show before. Uh, he is a website, taxhelponline.com. Um, I'm not recommending him. CPAs have been on the show. A, a certified public accountant will charge you for their time. So you can, you know, generally also you can pick their brain for 15 minutes over the phone. You know what I mean? For free. Or you say, hey, I'll pay for an hour of your time, explain my thing and you know, give me an estimate of the cost and then we'd work together or not. You know, that's a fair kind of deal. You know, something like that. All right. Because somebody's going to know what their time's worth in dealing with this or then they haven't dealt with it, right? Oh, it took me 40 hours to resolve a claim uh, that was just like yours. Well, if they don't resolve a claim just like yours, well, then I would be saying maybe you got to look elsewhere. You know what I mean? So uh, thanks for the call. And uh, next up, Gordon, go ahead. Uh, Yes, Josh. In about 10 days, the uh, BRICS countries are going to roll out their new uh, international currency. And I wonder if you think there'll be some serious repercussions that your uh, listeners and investors uh, should be uh, aware of possibly be aware of well i think we've talked about the loss of the u.s dollar it's not that we're going to wake up and the dollar will be worth less 
you know, your dollars are worth zero. It's that will they'll be worth less over time. I also think the U.S. should actively go against the partners who are joining this BRICS currency. Brazil, India, I think it's, it's wrong that our trade partners are actually colluding against the U.S. But this is, you know, we, we had a caller yesterday that called about the security, Social Security 2100 Act, and they were saying, oh, I want $200 a month extra on Social Security. And this is why they need $200 a month, because we don't get our fiscal house in order as the United States. So it's a big problem. And, but it's not like we're going to wake up and it's going to be worthless. It's going to be nobody's going to want dollars anymore in world trade. Or they're going to want, you know, instead of 60%, they're going to want 40%. And you do get people who say, oh, no, no, it's no big deal. And you know how we went from 80% to 60%? So the, the U.S. dollar accounts for like 60% of all U.S. global trade. Peter Earl, who's been on the show, said, you know, the real reason for that 80 to 60% drop is no cause for alarm. He's been on the show. He said, oh, it's no cause for alarm. It's no cause for alarm because uh, it's the euro and the European Union was doing something else. Well, no, it became a viable tool for the eurozone to not do trade in U.S. dollars. Same thing with the BRICS. So if we go from 60% to 50%, we're going to become less and less relevant. And why should we be relevant? Moody's, Fitch, downgrading our debt. What are we doing as a nation to show fiscal conservatism, fiscal restraint? And the economic types usually say, oh, no, no big deal. Well, it's no big deal in that we're not going to wake up and your dollars will be worthless overnight. So, you know, take a chill pill. But it is uniquely a problem for our children and grandchildren because, like, I don't know. I have seven kids. I don't really want them to handle it. You know, acquiring dollars. I'd rather them acquire stock, real estate. Like the U.S. dollar, like what is that long term? It's not a whole lot. Now, dollars are nice to have in a crisis. Dollars are something everybody wants in a crisis. U.S. treasuries are paying nice right now. But it's like bread in circuses. We're like like uh, we're the fall of the Roman Empire all over again. The coming year marks a major demographic and retirement planning milestone for America. It's peak 65. When more Americans will reach the age of 65 in the same year than at any time in history. The graying of the baby boomer generation will have a huge impact on retirement planning, health care, social security, taxes, and investing in 2024 and beyond. That's not just for Americans 65 and older. It's also for younger people because we heard yesterday on my show yesterday, if you missed my show yesterday, we talked about Social Security 2100 Act. And what's going to happen is they're going to tax kids more. They're going to tax people age 20 to 60 more to pay for all their benefits. But here's my question for you. Have you called us for the retirement reality check? Call us now, 888-988-JOSH. And I will give you my book free, How to Spend Your Money and Still Leave an Amazing Legacy at No Charge When You Schedule and Keep Your No Obligation Review. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 
About 12,000 people are turning 65 every day. Are you ready for retirement? Give us a call, 888-988-JOSH, 888-988-JOSH. The three-legged stool of retirement planning is broken. The preceding program was sponsored by the Jelensky Advisory Group. Any awards, rankings, or recognition by unaffiliated third parties or publications, including Five Star Wealth Manager, Advisory of the Year finalist by Senior Market Advisor, and Top of the Million Dollar Roundtable, are in no way indicative of the advisor's future performance or any individual client's investment success. No award, ranking, or recognition should be construed as a current or past endorsement of Josh Jelensky or Wealth Quarterback LLC. Information regarding specific awards, rankings, or recognitions is available on the Wealth quarterback website at jelinski.org. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. Investment strategies such as asset allocation, diversification, or rebalancing do not assure or guarantee better performance and cannot eliminate the risk of investment losses. There are no guarantees that a portfolio employing these or any other strategy will outperform a portfolio that does not engage in such strategies. This broadcast should not be construed by any client or prospective client as a solicitation to affect or attempt to affect transactions and securities or the rendering of personalized investment advice. Due to various factors, including changing market conditions, the information discussed in this broadcast may no longer be reflective of current positions or recommendations. While information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, Josh Jelinski and Wealth Quarterback do not guarantee its accuracy, and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed. The tax and estate planning information discussed is general in nature, is provided for informational purposes only, and should not be construed as legal or tax advice. Listeners should consider Consult an attorney or tax professional regarding their specific legal or tax situation. Investment advisory services offered through Wealth Quarterback, LLC.